0: Here at The Verge, one of our hardest weeks every year comes in January. It's CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, and it's such an intense tech conference that we spend just a ridiculous amount of time planning out what gear we're going to bring. It's vital that we have tools that we can rely on. Our cameras, our phones, and our laptops, they all have to work. And if there's any way we can make the stuff that we stuff into our bags simpler, or more importantly, weigh less, we're gonna take it. So in 2016, I was very excited to have a tiny 12-inch MacBook and a Google Nexus 6P. The laptop weighed next to nothing, and the phone had a massive screen. Both my phone and my laptop charged with the exact same cable, which was perfect. I was super ready for CES. Until suddenly, in the middle of that hectic week, the single, solitary USB-C port on the MacBook stopped working. I couldn't plug my camera in, I couldn't sync files, I could barely get the laptop to charge. And it was all because of a faulty cable. My Nexus 6P did what it was designed to do when I plugged it into the MacBook. It asked for all the power that it could get to fast charge. And so then the cable provided it, and that ended up frying the laptop's USB controller. (sighs) When USB-C first started, the only way to know for sure that you were buying a safe and reliable cable was to follow a Google Plus group and hope that you could come across the reviews of a single Google engineer who was running tests on everything that was available. According to the USB Implementers Forum, the official group that defines USB, there were only 61 certified USB-C cables at the time. The rest were just unlabeled junk. It was like playing Russian roulette with your laptop. It's five years later now, and you're not likely to fry your computer with a cable, but USB-C is still complicated. We have one plug that now does multiple things, from low power charging and slow data to ridiculously high 240-watt power. You can also get super high-speed data. There's Thunderbolt, there's monitors, there's audio. The dream of a single cable and plug is great, but it's also a little confusing. I'm Dieter Bohm, the executive editor of The Verge, and I'm really excited to talk through what's going on today with USBC. We're doing a special run of more focused Vergecast episodes on Tuesdays, and this week, as you can obviously tell, it's time to really talk about USBC.
1: Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking, so why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work.
2: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning
0: So before we get into the variety of complications that USB-C created, let's talk about what it actually is, because there's even some confusion right there let's just get down to the very very basics USB-C is a 24 pin universal serial bus connector system universal because it works with everything in theory serial because that's a technical term for communication and computers for this kind of port and bus which is short for omnibus which is a kind of transport it's another computer term for communication anyway one of USB-C's big innovations is that it has a rotationally symmetrical connector which means that you can plug it in upside down or right Side side up. You don't get it wrong every time you try to plug it in like you do with older flavors of USB like USB-A or micro USB. USB-C was designed to replace data transfer connectors like USB-A and also offer faster speeds, which these days could be as fast as 40 gigabits per second. USB-C is also meant to provide power to replace your power cable. The name for the main standard is USB-PD or USB Power Delivery, which is a much higher power delivery standard than past USB connectors. It can range from standard phone wattage like 5 or 20 or 30 watts up to 100 watts for laptops or now with the newest versions, 240. 40 watts. This standard allows the cable to power devices like gaming laptops and smart speakers, your Nintendo Switch, headphones, whatever, and communicate the appropriate amount of wattage and the current levels that are being delivered to the device. USB-C cables also have the ability to transfer both video and audio signals, replacing cables like HDMI or the old 3.5 TRS headphone jack. It can also send video signals for monitors like, say, over DisplayPort. Add all that up, and the dream is really simple. A single cable and plug that does anything and everything. You don't need multiple different cables. You can get everything you need onto your laptop or your phone with just a single one. Okay, so that all sounds simple enough, right? Transfers data, transfers power, can be used for video or audio. But the problems pop up pretty quickly. We're used to the shape of the cable telling us what the cable does. Only your power cable fits into the power plug or the HDMI fits into the HDMI. But with USB-C, the physical shape doesn't tell you what the thing does anymore. And it turns out not every USB-C cable can actually support doing everything that you might want it to.
3: The issue I guess is that the physical plug, the USB-C plug is the same regardless of whether it just carries power or power and low speed data or power and high speed data or power and high speed data and high speed video.
0: That's Rod Whitby. He's the CTO of a company called ASTC, the Australian Semiconductor Technology Company.
3: So I've been involved with USB-C and USB-PD, I guess, for eight years now. Worked with a number of silicon vendors, a number of OEMs, and have attended a number of USB droppability workshops during the early days of Mm USB-C when everyone was just working out how things worked with each other or didn't work with each other, as the case may be.
0: So he knows a bit about the
3: intricacies
0: of the standard and where the confusion comes from.
3: When you start to have a single cable for all those different things, power, video, and data, then clearly if you want to have cheap cables, they're going to be different cables that just carry power and nothing else versus cables that can carry 40 gigabits per second of video and data.
0: Since there are different types of USB-C cables being made, you may own a cable that charges your phone but doesn't really support anything else. You may own another USB-C cable that charges your phone faster and then another that's only able to transfer data. And they all look the same. At the heart of it, the universal USB-C connector, which is designed to simplify things, created a problem of cheap cables that don't do what you want and confusing tech standards. USB-C is on the way to making tech faster and smarter, don't get me wrong, but right now my cable drawer is still as messy as it's always been. Now, technically there is a process for clarifying all of these different cables. As you could probably guess, it's by labeling them on the packaging or ideally on the cable itself. But there's a problem there too. There's weird naming conventions and different branding from different manufacturers. So it's not easy enough to know whether or not you've bought
3: the right cable. There is branding that's meant to be put on the plug to tell you what's what. But of course, you know, some manufacturers put their own logo on instead of the branding. And so that doesn't help with people. And then on the side of a laptop, you know, there's limited space there to write what that receptacle on the laptop can handle. I guess it's a combination of humans making assumptions about what things can do, which are reasonable assumptions to make, you know, if it plugs in, you expect it to work. But of course, uh, all the cables look the same, unless you know what the logo means, it's rife for confusion.
0: All right, let's talk about the logos because the USB Implementers Forum, which is the organization that maintains the USB standard and its specifications, aren't really great at keeping a clear message for consumers on what the cables they buy can actually do. But my colleague at The Verge, Heim Gartenberg, is great at deciphering and explaining what all of these USB specs are and what the logos mean and what they're used for. So let's bring him into talk. Hi, am Gartenberg. You are senior reporter at The Verge. Also, uh, the only person I personally know who is more obsessed with USB-C than I am. Welcome.
4: Good to be here.
0: So we have talked a bit about the USB spec and uh, how it works, but fundamentally what we're really talking about here is lots of cables that theoretically can do different things, even though they look the same. So what kind of specs can actually be labeled on a USB-C cable?
4: So broadly speaking, there's two types of things that a USB-C cable can do. There is data and there is charging. Now, most cables do both, but up until USB 4, which is new, you didn't have to actually do either of these things. You could make a charging cable that didn't do data, you could do a data cable that you know, didn't meet certain charging specs. So USB-C describes the port, but there's a lot of things you can do with it.
0: Right, so let's stick with power to start. So what are the different labels we should look for, the different types of power that USB-C can do?
4: So when USB-C first started, there were a lot of different specs. There are still a lot of weird, different little proprietary fast-charging specs. Um, There are bigger fast-charging things. But the most important one, and the one that's become the main one that virtually everyone uses in some capacity, is USB power delivery, or USB PD. Now, there are several versions of that. Newest is USB... PD 3.1, which was announced in May, Uh, they started rolling out new logos and new documentation for it in September. Uh, And there are actually products shipping with it today. The new MacBook Pros that Apple just released Mm -hmm. uh, do use USB PD 3.1 for the MagSafe ports, not the regular ports, just the MagSafe ports.
0: Sure. And what does USB PD 3.1 get us?
4: So USB 3p.1 gets you all the benefits of USB PD which is the different tiers of charging uh, it is designed that the two devices can kind of handshake and go I need 10 watts and your charger will go okay I can give you 10 watts so it does all that but it ups the wattage considerably so USB PD3, uh, which is the one that came before this, was up to 100 watts mm-hmm. uh, and was sort of the bottleneck for adding USB-C to laptops, um, higher-powered laptops for charging, because the most you could get of it was 100 watts. The bigger laptops you have, Apple's old 16-inch literally was a 97-watt USB-C charger, uh, but you couldn't go past that. So this goes all the way up to 240, assuming you have a device, a cable, and a brick that can go that that high.
0: Right. And so am I looking for USB PD 3.1 on the box or the cable? Am I looking for like a color code? How do I know that my device, my cable, and my brick are all capable of getting 240 watts through that entire chain?
4: So the USB implementers Forum, which is the group that comes up with all these standards, mm-hmm. uh, is not the best at naming and not the best at branding. Um, <laughs> they are trying a different tack with this generation of stuff, which is they now have Bespoke logos that are supposed to appear on certified PD 3.1 devices and also certified USB 4 devices, which is not the same thing as PD 3.1, which we'll get to in a minute. And it's literally either a 240 watt, it'll be like a little sticker on your thing that this is a cable that is capable of going up to 240. Uh, It's like a little USB. It has a thing. You can see it on our site. And they also have one for up to 60 watts. So you'll know this is either, you know, a quote unquote low power cable that's designed to charge, you know, lower power things. Or this is a a high powered cable that can charge your theoretical, you know, 240 watt gaming laptop.
0: And for me, like the the big thing with USB PD, and and this was a problem. Early, early on with USB C, is there, like you mentioned, the proprietary like charging standards? I think Qualcomm had one that was super mm-hmm. weird. A bunch of Android phones were using Wackadoo fast charging systems and not using standard USB PD. But by and large, it seems like we're at a place where most stuff is using the non proprietary standards based USB power delivery system. And it's just a matter of making sure that you look for the correct label on the box to make sure that your cable is capable of providing the power that your device is asking for. Exactly. Okay, so power could be worse. Uh, could be but worse. It's, it's definitely like, okay, for the mm-hmm. most part, as long as you're keeping an eye on things. What about data? Because we also have new standards for transferring data.
4: So data is where things get a little complicated, because just because you have a USB-C cable does not necessarily mean you're using the USB data transfer spec. Uh, And even if you are using the USB data transfer spec, it doesn't guarantee that you're using any particular version except for USB 4, which in part was largely designed to fix a lot of these issues. There are many different USB specs. There are many different names. They have gone through various attempts to rebrand them. So we have all the way going through, you have USB 3.1 Gen 1, USB 3.1 Gen 2, USB 3.1.2 Gen 1, USB 3.2 Gen 2, USB 3.2 Gen (laughs) Gen 1x2, USB 3.2 Gen 2x2. Uh, and USB four. Wonderful. Part of this is not as bad as it sounds because a lot of it is whenever they come up with a new standard. So when we have you know USB three two, USB three one Gen one gets renamed to USB three two Gen one, and right. same with Gen one by two and Gen two by two. A lot of this is just backporting because the new standard has to include all the previous standards. So that if I get a USB 3.2 Gen 2x2 supporting cable and I plug it into, you know, my old headphones or, or my old computer that only supports the lower data transfer speed, everything still needs to work.
0: And to a certain extent, you know, we're running through all the different names of all the specs over the years, but this is a problem you actually kind of want to have. I mean, you want to have clearer branding for sure, yeah. but you want your cables to get faster over time, yeah. right? You want it, you want this to progress.
4: The perfect opposite example is Lightning, which is the same cable, the same port, and hasn't updated its data transfer speed in, you know, half a decade at least, and transfers mm. much, much, much slower than USB-C does. Right. So this is a good kind of problem. It does lead to some confusion. And that, in part, is sort of what USB-4 is sort of trying to solve.
0: Yeah, so why don't you talk about USB-4, what it's trying to solve, and, and you know, what, what's good and maybe bad about it?
4: OK, so USB 4.0 is the newest USB spec, and it does a couple things differently than like the four versions of USB 3.2 that existed before, Mm -hmm. which is it is technically a superset of USB 3.2 and Thunderbolt 3, which went open source in 2017. So it was previously Intel's own standard. Now, it's open source, and a lot of that is what the foundation of USB 4.0 is. Okay. A couple things that make USB 4.0 different is you're no longer allowed to make USB Type-A cables or USB B cables. If it is USB 4.0, it has to be USB C. Got it. Second, if you are doing charging, the charging has to support PD. Got it. So, in theory, if you buy a USB 4.0 cable, you know that it will have certain minimums for charging and certain minimums for data transfer, And those will be consistent across anything that is USB 4 compatible. Got it. Which is good, except it's not perfect. Because when we mentioned before that you don't have to do both at the same time, so you don't have to do everything. So there's two different levels of USB 4 data transfer. Uh, USB 4 goes all the way up to 40 gigabits per second. Mm-hmm. But there are actually two substandards. There's USB 4.0 20 gigabits per second, which, as the name implies, only goes up to 20 gigabits per second. And then there's USB 4.0 40 gigabits per second, which goes all the way to 40 gigabits per second. And there are also separate logos for those two things. So in theory, when you're looking at a, a USB 4.0 cable or charger, well, USB 4.0 cable for data transfer, you're going to look at the cable and it'll say on the box, you'll look for 20 or 40, and you'll have an idea of whether you have the slower or faster cable and then 60 or 240, which will give you an idea of whether you have the slower, faster charging.
0: And part of the thinking here isn't just, oh, let's confuse people. It's that like making a full USB 4 40 gigabit, 240 watt cable It's just, it costs more, right? And so you could theoretically go buy something that only does 20 because you don't need the 40 because that's a lot. Or you could buy something that doesn't support all the way up to 240. You only need 100 or 15 or whatever because you can save a ton of money. Buying a full spec top of the line USB 4 cable that supports everything is like buying an old Thunderbolt 3 cable. It's, exactly there's limits on its length and it also costs a lot of money, right?
4: Mm -hmm. USB 4 also does fix a couple of the other problems with the older USB-C standards because, It is built on Thunderbolt 3, so USB 4.0 by default will support things like audio and DisplayPort, which you did not necessarily have to bundle in before on USB 3.0, but it's also a slow rollout. Like, to my knowledge, there are no 240-watt USB 4.0 cables that you can just buy today.
0: Except technically, I guess you could say maybe the MagSafe, although it's not
4: for a gigabyte. MagSafe is just power. If you were to buy two MagSafe cables and cut the ends off and splice (laughs) them together, you might have one. But please, actually, please, do. if you spend $160 on this and on this mad science experiment and you don't electrocute yourself, let me know if it works.
0: Yeah, please, please be safe. We don't recommend trying this at home, but if you wanted to. Uh, So you briefly mentioned DisplayPort alt mode and audio. So there's like standard data transfer, but USB-C cables have also been used just for straight audio or for straight providing display via the DisplayPort standard. That was not necessarily included before, but part of the point of USB-4 is that all gets that all has to be part of the spec now.
4: Exactly, that's sort of a trickle down effect from Thunderbolt, right? because you have all these alt modes and these optional protocols that you can build in that you don't need to necessarily, or you didn't need to. If the logic sort of was, if I was building a pair of headphones or a battery pack, Mm -hmm. the battery pack doesn't need data transfer. For the most part, there are one or two battery packs that have firmware that you can update. But for the most part, most battery packs don't need data. Yeah, My battery pack doesn't need a headphone jack.
0: Right, right. OK, so you roll up to Amazon.com or Best Buy or Walmart or whatever, and you see there's a USB 3.2 cable and a USB 4 cable. Uh, is, it, is it reasonable that you might just want to spend less money and get the 3.2 cable? Uh, is, it, is that a totally normal thing to do? Or should everybody be thinking, oh, I only want to buy USB 4 from now on if possible?
4: I mean, as someone who likes to future-proof their stuff, I always try and buy the most, which is funny because now all my 100-watt cables are going to be worthless if I ever get a <laughs> device that needs more than that. Yeah, I mean, it depends a lot on what you're using it for. If you're looking for, you know, a one a one job fits all cable to hook your computer up to your monitor that'll do, you know, audio and the whole USB hub that's built into your monitor and Display Port and charging and everything. Make sure that you're getting the cable that you need for that. And right. It can be easier just to get a USB-4 cable because you're pretty much guaranteed that that will work. Right. If you want to avoid the hassle, that's probably your best solution. If you know what you're doing, if you, you know, just need something to charge your cell phone at night, you know, just want a long cable to stretch across the living room to, you know, charge your phone while you're watching Netflix, you're probably good with anything so long as it, you know, supports PD. And the thing to really keep an eye on, and this is the thing that, you know, you'll see on sellers on Amazon and in stores, Look at what the wattage that it supports is Mm because not all PD cables support 100 watts even. Some are 30 watts, some are 60 watts. I have personally run into when I've been charging with cables and realized like my laptop wasn't charging because it was only a 30 watt cable because it was really old.
0: Right. So this all sounds great. We've landed at USB 4 is the one that you can safely buy, but you've mm-hmm. brought up Thunderbolt a couple of times. Yeah. Um, and now Thunderbolt is Intel standard and it has it is using the same USB-C plug, at least with Thunderbolt 3. They open source Thunderbolt 3. So that's now part of USB 4, but there's a new version of Thunderbolt. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
4: Yeah, so that's Thunderbolt 4. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the difference between Thunderbolt 4 and USB 4 is Thunderbolt is proprietary to Intel. Not that other device, other manufacturers can't use it. They show up on devices all the time. Again, sure. Apple's new MacBook Pros are Thunderbolt 4 ports. But if you want to make a Thunderbolt 4 device or a cable, you need to go to Intel, and Intel has to approve it and test it and make sure that everything works. Right. And Thunderbolt is sort of the idea that the USB 4 standard was sort of promising before, which is that it's just one cable. You don't need to worry about what you're getting or what you're doing or, or anything. If it has the Thunderbolt and a four on it, you can plug it into your Thunderbolt thing with a four on it and you will be guaranteed. It'll support you know the 40 gigabits right off the bat. It'll support the multiple displays. It'll support you know PCIe data transfer speeds up to a certain thing. Uh, it'll work with Thunderbolt's four docks, which will let you have more ports. The flip side is that Thunderbolt 4 cables and Thunderbolt 4 accessories are really expensive. Mm. So it's sort of your one-shot-fits-all thing, except you're paying for that privilege. Right. The other weird quirk is Thunderbolt 4 was built on the original batch of USB 4. So it's cross-compatible with that in a lot of ways. Uh, So it supports, you know, the USB 4 40 gigabit per second data transfer rate, which is the Thunderbolt Mm 3.1. But USB 4 has a weird quirk, actually, where it is slightly better in theory in charging than Thunderbolt because Thunderbolt right now only does 100 watt charging because it has the old PD spec because Thunderbolt 4 came out in July 2020, a full year before the USB IF actually introduced PD 3.1 with this 240 spec. Got it. So if you are buying a new and at this point non-existent, um, if you're buying, you know, a laptop somewhere in the future and it charges at 240 watts, right now a Thunderbolt 4 cable theoretically does not charge that, which is actually a quirk you can see uh, just to bring it up again because it's the only device that's even a little bit using 3.1 uh, PD 3.1. Right. On the 16-inch MacBook, the reason that you can only fast charge the 16-inch MacBook through that MagSafe port is because that's the only one that uses. USB PD 3.1. The other three are Thunderbolt ports, and those can still only charge at 100 watts, which isn't the full 140 that that 16-inch laptop needs to fast charge.
0: Right. So in theory, we could say that that MagSafe port is a USB 4.0 port, but it's not USB-C. It's not really even USB because it's just power. It's just sort of a...
4: Yeah. So the MagSafe port doesn't do data. Like You can't plug your MagSafe cable into a USB-C hard drive. And that's the perfect example of how you can use PD as a spec without necessarily using the USB 4 transfer and everything.
0: Okay, lightning round. Lightning round. If I have a Thunderbolt 4 cable, Mm -hmm. does it support everything that USB 4 does?
4: Yes, except for the 240 watt charging.
0: Got it. If I have a USB 4 cable, does it support everything Thunderbolt 3 does?
4: Yes, but they are not entirely cross compatible. Okay. All Thunderbolt 3 stuff should work with USB 4 but it's not necessarily backwards compatible because Thunderbolt 3 came first. So like if you have an older hub, it might not necessarily play well unless it's been updated, et cetera. Got it.
0: If I see a USB-C cable sitting on my desk, what can I trust that it will do?
4: Uh, but there's no label on it. You can't trust that it will do anything <laughs> in theory. <laughs> Uh, it is probably a good bet that it will do data transfer at at least five gigabits per second and that it will charge at, you know, at least five watts, which mm-hmm. is the minimum data transfer rate of USB 3.1 Gen 1, which is the, you know, slowest and worst USB C cable that exists. Mm-hmm. Anything past that, there's no real way to know unless. It physically says on the cable has you know the USB IF branding that they've been encouraging people to use, right, or some other markings you know on the physical cable itself.
0: Yeah, which nobody's doing. I've, n- I've never seen this mark on a, on the cable itself in my life, except maybe I'll see like the Thunderbolt.
4: I'll occasionally see the the DisplayPort one. Like I have mm-hmm. a cable on my desk that has a DisplayPort one. There is in theory like. Uh, USB 4.20 and 41, like I have a nice picture of it from USB-IF of what it could look like on a cable, but I've never seen it in person. But I also haven't seen a 240-watt cable yet, so maybe maybe that's a new era.
0: Final lightning round question. Are you happier with this system than with having uh, every single cable does something different? It has a different port and looks different and you don't know if it, you know, you plugged it in the wrong way and, and whatever. Are you? Do you think we're better off with this USB-C plug and these like progressing standards on top of the same
4: cable year after year? I actually do think we're better off because at the end of the day, a lot of this does suck and is really confusing. But <laughs> I think we're better off because a lot of this sucks
0: and is really confusing. The Verge.
4: I have a but. I have like a, a, okay. good, a good second half to this sentence. All right. If you are willing to, you know, play, not entirely, play by the rules uh, and play to the, the higher end and always assume the worst out of USB C, if you charge everything with an 100 watt PD charger, then I know that I can confidently travel with one brick and two cables. And I can charge my laptop and my headphones and my Kindle and my Switch and my battery pack. And I don't need to bring a separate charger for this and a separate charger for that. I don't need to worry about, you know, oh, did I bring the right USB cable? Did I bring the right thing? Everything works. And if I need to plug this into that, I have one cable that'll do that. If I need to, you know, sync an ebook that I bought, I can do that. So the benefits do still outweigh the negatives. Uh, especially because, and this has been true for a while and will hopefully continue to be true, things are slowly getting better. The things are getting more consolidated. When I first bought a Nintendo Switch, like I couldn't figure out how to charge it with anything other than the charger it came in because the PD standard was very new and Mm -hmm. things were out, battery packs were out, cables were out that didn't support PD. Uh, And PD chargers were actually pretty expensive at the time. Now, every charger in my house is a PD charger, and I can charge my Switch with my laptop charger and and vice versa. So things have been getting better. It's just been a slow march. There's a Kindle with USB-C now, like, that did not exist for a very long time. So it is a slow thing forward, but it is better. It's just still not great.
0: And it's never going to happen on the iPhone?
4: It's never going to happen on the iPhone.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, here we go. Thank you so much for coming on the VergeCast and explaining all of this to us. Uh, We will have more to explain about USB-C, I'm sure, in the near future.
4: I look forward to uh, arguing about it then.
0: (laughs) Okay. so you've actually got the right cable. You're transferring data at 40 gigabits per second. You're ready to charge at 240 watts. That's great. Congratulations, you bought a cable. Unfortunately, that's still just the beginning. You still need the right ports on your actual devices, and you still need a charging brick that could support all the wattage that you want. And there are still a lot of devices that just haven't adopted USB-C yet. There are laptops with barrel plugs, gadgets with micro USB, and of course, the iPhone still uses Apple's lightning connector. See, for a lot of companies, it doesn't make sense to change over to the newest tech standard for a variety of reasons. If you have a hardware design that's been built around something like micro USB, it costs a lot of money to change that. And if you don't need to redesign your product or it wouldn't necessarily benefit from what USB-C has to offer, it doesn't really make sense to spend all of that development money to remake your product just to put a new port on it. Now, Rod Whitby, who we spoke to earlier, has seen USB-C from its infancy. He was there at the very start of making new kinds of data speeds and power standards work. So I asked him, is the adoption rate for USB-C just taking way too
3: long? It's a good question. I think it has taken longer than I expected, but I'm not surprised. How come? Yeah, doing USB-C properly and supporting these 100 watts charging or 240 watts charging in the future, you need to put a chip in there for for a start, right? Just to do 100 watts instead of 60 watts, you need to have a chip in the cable and you need to have chips at either end that can do this negotiation. To do high-speed data, you know, the 40 gigabits per second, well, these days, even inside a new laptop, just to get from the processor, which is sitting in the middle of the laptop, to the ports on either side you need extra chips to redrive the 40 gigabit signal. Oh, right, yeah. I mean, if you remember the first MacBook that came out with USB-C, it had the USB-C on one side only, right? Mm-hmm, yep. There's a reason for that.
0: And it, it wasn't that they, they hate having ports on both sides?
3: It's because if you want to have ports on both sides, then you need to put extra chips in there to redrive the signal the further distance to the other side.
0: That's amazing, it's like, that's like less than a foot, but still. When you're going at 40 gigabits per second, then 10 centimeters matters. So you can see that this is way more complicated than you assumed. It's not just, say, Microsoft resisting putting USB-C on the Surface because they're worried people will get confused about whether or not they should use their phone charger to charge their laptop. It gets down to centimeters within the device itself. Even Apple, who led the charge for USB-C on laptops, had this problem where they didn't want to spend the extra money to put extra ports all the way on the other side of the laptop. There are still technical limitations to this technology, which have hindered adoption. Rod says that once you start going past two meter cables, for example, you start to stretch the boundaries of the technology and you start thinking about putting repeaters into the cable. But hey, you know, we've got USB-C ports on both sides of the MacBook now, so progress. Anyway, speaking of Apple, as we mentioned before, MacBooks have fully incorporated the Thunderbolt 3 standard into USB-C and newer iPads have USB-C on them, and that's great. But again, the iPhone doesn't. And it seems more likely that the iPhone is going to end up with no ports before it ends up with a USB-C port. But that hasn't stopped our next guest
5: from adding USB-C to the iPhone himself. I could see like how that could possibly be done. And I saw that nobody was doing it. And so just one day I thought, well, maybe I'm the guy who's gonna do that. We're gonna take a quick break for some ads, but when we come back,
0: I talked to Ken Pionel, a hardware hacker in Switzerland, about how he opened up an iPhone 10 and figured out how to replace the lightning port with USB-C.
1: Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck.
5: Hey, it's Tom Warren, senior editor at The Verge here. Microsoft is in an era-defining moment. It's betting on AI as the future of work, it's Xbox business is going through transformational changes, and the Mac versus PC war is about to be back on. So, I'm launching a newsletter called Notepad, It will be your inside guide to all those changes and beyond from details on the next Xbox to that one time every Microsoft employee named Michael appeared on a mysterious email list. Whatever is happening at Microsoft, you'll be able to read about it first in Notepad every Thursday. Go subscribe now at theverge.com forward slash Notepad.
0: Okay, we're back with the Vergecast USB C special. I'm about to talk to Ken Pionel, who cleverly built USB C directly into his iPhone. So, I guess if we could start with can you tell me why you decided to pursue this project of
5: getting USB C working on an iPhone? I think there's a lot of reasons. Like the first one, that's maybe the most relatable one. Is that like as a consumer, you know, I think it was in 2015, Apple came out with like the MacBook and they really sold it as having courage and like going all in with this type C port that is going to be the port of the future and that we only have this one connector to rule them all. And I was really like sold by that idea, you know, and then the years went by and for some reason this lightning port just stuck around and it, it didn't want to go and don't get me wrong, I'm a super fan of Apple, like I like what they do, but I never could be like full on into the ecosystem because there was always, always this thing that was bothering me. So I always had like an Android phone. And after a while, like I started to get gain more skills and I could see like how that could possibly be done. And I saw that nobody was doing it. And so just one day I thought, oh, maybe I'm the guy who's going to do that. <laughs> and I just I just went for it. So you
0: built a sort of an outboard, you know, thing for it so that you could just test to see that it worked and you were, you know, tracing all the leads and whatnot and you were pulling off little chips from Apple's own board and, and transferring it over. Mm-hmm. What was that process like? Did you sort of have a hunch it would work? Or was it was that part of the process of well, let's see if this thing will even work even with a, you know, big giant Frankenstein thing attached to the side of the phone?
5: Yeah. So I thought if it works with the big Frankenstein thing then there's no reason that it won't work uh, if I redo it myself smaller. It's just a matter of time and dedication and like fixing the problems. But in theory, if you see it work here with your own eyes and it's big, I know for a fact that there's a lot of stuff in here that are not useful, like uh, mm-hmm. like the lightning connector. I can remove it. I can replace it with w- wires and things like that. So I knew then that I could get it done eventually. I just didn't know how long it would take. One of the really surprising things to me, I mean, maybe not surprising, but just
0: something I hadn't thought about is that you without working at a big company or whatever you can you can go out and design a board and design a PCB and like have it manufactured for you. Can you tell us a little bit more about that process cuz you know I was like how do you fit the electronics in there and like I would I would have wires everywhere. It would never have occurred to me like oh wait, I could just go into CAD, I could actually make a thing and have somebody manufacture it for me.
5: So it's not too complicated. Like you said, you go into a CAD software. I think here the most difficult part was choosing the sh- the shape of the board because like my board bends 90 degrees two times. And so you really need to have some kind of like spatial awareness of like where it's going to go inside the phone and, and really imagine it. And once that's done, it's really like a flat surface, and then you place the components uh, where they are, and then you like run little like traces. It's like little wires on them, and then you get like a, a file that you send to here. It was a company in China, and they manufacture it for you, and then they send it to you, and then you can solder things on it. And uh, yeah, it's it's pretty amazing what uh, like before you you couldn't do that, but now for the the last few years, there's really a lot of companies like local companies that came into the market and that uh, proposed those services and like for the do-it-yourself community it's really like awesome you can you can do things you couldn't do before
0: (laughs) it really is incredible oh i'm I'm sorry i meant to ask why did you pick the uh, iphone 10 was it was it just that it was like not too expensive or was do you think that there was Mm -hmm. stuff on newer iphones that would have made this project more complicated
5: so first i started like more than a year and a half ago almost two Mm -hmm. years ago oh wow so i think back then it was like the iPhone 11, the latest iPhone, and it was just, I didn't want to pick the latest one because it was the most expensive and I, I went with the iPhone X. And also now looking back, because I was thinking maybe I could port it to another iPhone, like the iPhone 12 and iPhone 13 or something like that, I'm not sure I'll be the person to do that because there's, a with like the repair community, they have kind of like a a war with Apple on authorized uh, repairmen and unauthorized, and now they're really like putting serial numbers on parts, so you mm-hmm. can't just like you could before buy a screen and swap it up yourself. And so that kind of annoyed me, I thought, um, if, I, if I break something, which I, I did in iPhone X, I broke the screen, I broke, I broke a few things that I had to change multiple times, if I need to have those specialized tools just to br- change my screen once, it doesn't make sense, right? right. And uh, the iPhone X didn't have those problems. So also it made a great fit to, for, for this project.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, when you managed to get USB in and working and got everything working, do you know if you were able to get, I don't know, faster data speeds? One of the problems with Lightning is its its data speeds are slower. Uh, I'm assuming mm-hmm. that it's just, you know, it's the same interface in, internally with the board you made. So it, it basically still had USB 2 or whatever Lightning speeds are. But yeah. I'm wondering, were there any other functional differences that, that you noticed once you switched it over?
5: So that's a question I get a lot. I yeah. think, so first about data, there's a A limitation inside the iPhone where the connection to the main board only has, you could say, two wires, Mm -hmm. two data wires, and that's the limiting factor. Like, I don't see myself being able to change that. That would take. uh, You'd have to replace the whole main board. It'd be re architecting the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, if you want to get into faster data transfers, USB 3, for example, then you need multiple. Pairs of wires. So and USB 2 only had one. So they're called mm-hmm. D plus and D minus, data plus and d- data minus signals. And so in the iPhone, all the iPhones until the latest ones all have this one pair. And so that's the limiting factor. You can't you can't change that. So yeah, yeah. The, the project is stuck at USB 2. Yeah. Then about accessories, can you plug in a USB C hub and then put HDMI? Sadly, not. You can't do that in in this mod simply because the accessories Apple use all have a different chip inside the accessory. so mm-hmm. the way I see it at least is if I wanted to include all those accessories, I would have to include like a this little chip inside my special board and then have some kind of logic like I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it would take me maybe an extra two years to add yeah. <laughs> other other, <laughs> other accessories so then I, I thought. Charging and data is already pretty good. Uh, Then if I have more time, I'll do something, I'll probably add something else.
0: Yeah, I've wondered if it'd be possible to take, say, the the USB connection off an iPad, like the new iPad mini, and take Mm -hmm. those parts and plug them into an iPhone. If it would just, you know, somehow work, but it sounds like it probably wouldn't. It'd be a lot more complicated than that.
5: Yeah, I thought about this in the beginning. So in the iPad, I think what changes is that there is a software change. So mm-hmm. iPadOS knows it's directly talking a USB language. And so what's useful in inside the iPhone, like the hardware, would just be the little connector. But the little connector, I can order it for $2 off any website. It's It's no different than the others. So Mm -hmm. the thing in the iPad is that it's the software already knows it's talking USB and then goes through the USB connector, whereas here, If I would want to do something like that, I would have to change the software on the iPhone so that it knows it talks USB and and not lightning. Right. But that would change completely the scope of the project. It would be like jailbreaking the iPhone or something like that. The whole thing. And so here it was only a hardware hack where we took the chip that does the conversion in the cable and we integrated it inside the iPhone so that uh, it does the job for us without Mm -hmm. having to worry about software or anything like that.
0: Were you surprised at your ability to I don't know fit the larger USB-C plug at the bottom of the phone? I you know you did a really clever thing to to mill out the space, um, finding the space inside for your adapter. Were you concerned early on, like oh wait, Apple goes with Lightning, they they must have to because it's thinner. There's no way this could work, or just from taking apart iPhones, did you know like come on, this is uh, this is actually possible?
5: So it worried me a little bit at the beginning because it does look bigger. When Well, it is bigger because I had to drill out the hole. But when I went to choose actually the connector that I was telling you about, like actually order it on a website, just that little connector metallic piece. Mm -hmm. Every time you order those components, there is like 2D drawings with the dimensions. And so I went through maybe like 50 of them or something like that to look at their dimensions and compare them with the lightning connector. And I was trying to find one that could actually maybe be smaller than the lightning connector. Mm. And I did, in the end, I did find one that was smaller. So the connector where you plug in the cable is bigger, but from the outside, like the, the volume that the connector takes... The one I chose is actually smaller than the Lightning <laughs> connector, and so that gave me some extra room to then do a little 3D printed bracket that holds the connector so it doesn't, uh, when you plug in a cable, it it feels strong. Right. So, yeah, I think that's uh, that's pretty funny to know about that in the end is that my connector is actually smaller than the Lightning connector. And so you you put all this
0: on GitHub, and there was a step where you had to get, like, you had to order some extra parts. Can you talk about the process of sort of putting your your process out there in the world so that anybody might theoretically
5: be able to to redo what you did? So when I was trying to reverse engineer this little connector that Apple builds for Mm -hmm. their cables, right... I saw that it was kind of, it wasn't impossible to do, but it was kind of hard to do because they make it so it's hard. They make it so people don't go put their nose in that cable and see how it works because then maybe someone in China will make a fake connector and then sell it on their website and then they lose revenue for those accessory sales. And then I thought if I continue pursuing this connector, then it's first, I don't think I'll be able to make it open source, because if I do, then I'm basically putting out the layout of what Apple builds. It's kind of like I put the plans out there, how to remake what they do, right? And then here I would definitely get in trouble.
0: Yeah, regardless of whether or not you are right for the, you know, various DMCA style rules, Apple would not be afraid to go after you and you don't want to deal with that hassle, even
5: if you were in the right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I knew I knew from the beginning, if I did that, uh, I would get in trouble. And then I, I started, I was doing some research on the connector. And then one day I stumbled across an article that was saying, hey, actually, someone did what you want to do already. Someone hacked that cable and they're selling fake cables on the internet for cheaper so that you can charge your iPhone or your uh, your AirPods with that cable and it won't give you an error message saying this cable is not the original then i it like clicked in my mind hey maybe i can hack them i can hack the hackers and so then when i <laughs> post my plans online i'm not posting the plans of what apple did i'm posting the plans of the people who hacked apple so it's not i'm not really doing anything wrong right? Yeah, that's great.
0: And why did you post the plans? I mean, you know, you could have been like, look, look what I did. uh, But like, was it important to you to put this up on on GitHub instead of, you know, just like a blog post or something else?
5: Well, here, you know, there's files, right? There's the schematics for the electronics. And I thought probably some people would want to contribute to that. And then they can actually add their own files to it. Of course, I, I need to look into it, see if it's good, and then I can add it. But then If it's like a hub, well, it's called GitHub, but if it's like a a hub for this project, then people can go on it and maybe they can download their own files and then make their own version of it, modify it however they want. Mm. I think that's very interesting. Are you using the iPhone that you modded as your phone? (laughs) I've used it for a few days just to see that uh, it wouldn't burn in my hand. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I'm I'm using a a Samsung phone as as a daily driver.
0: If you could just speak briefly, what do you think of USB-C itself as a spec, as a standard? Do you really like it? I know Apple was evangelizing it early on, but do you think it's a good plug? Do
5: you think it's a good standard? Or is it just that it's the thing that everyone's using, and, and that's why you wanted to get it going on the iPhone? I think it's an aspect that some, sometimes not talked about too much on why it's, it would be interesting to have only one connector. Like you can't save things only when they go your way. Like you can't stop including a charger in your iPhone in the box and say it's to reduce waste, and then for other things like the connector, you act the complete opposite. You know what I mean? So I, yeah, I think it's important to be uh, consistent with what you say and with what you think, and I think that, yeah, that's an important aspect to talk about.
0: Do you think it's worth the trade-off of having the same plug? given all these extra like complications and things you need to know about? Because in the old world, every plug was a different shape, and so you knew what the plug would do based on its shape. Do you think that we're better off having all the plugs have that same USB shape, but you need to understand what the cable or the
5: you know devices are capable of? I think we're better off if it's safe. So I mean, if the worst that can happen is that you charge your MacBook very slowly, Instead of the at the normal speed, I think, I think it's worth it. Yeah, but I do think that in the mid to long term there needs to be solutions to that. And I think that's things that I will explore in my channel if I if, if, if it's something that is of interest to people and I, I know it's of interest to me because I'm here talking to you about this right now. <laughs> I'll definitely do some more research about that and maybe propose ideas that are mine or not mine and uh, get people talking about the subject.
0: Well, cool, man. It's a it's a really fun project. I'm really glad you did it. It's it's really nice, if nothing else, to be able to point to it and be like, "Yep, see, like nothing nothing exploded. The world didn't come to an end. The phone still works fine. Nobody nobody got hurt. It still fits." So, if nothing else, congrats for showing everybody that it's it's absolutely possible. Thank you. Thank you so much. So now Ken probably has the only iPhone in the world that has a proper USB-C port on it outside of Apple's labs. And I am, I have to admit, insanely jealous. So look, we know that Apple doesn't want to put USB-C on an iPhone, but if they want to keep ports on it in general, they might actually be ordered to make the switch.
2: The EU Commission is proposing common USB-C charging ports for all new smartphones, iPads, tablets, cameras and headphones.
3: In terms of waste, this is significant because this measure will allow us to save 1,000 tonnes of electronic waste and 2,600 tonnes of raw materials per year. There is also the impact on CO2 emissions. It will save 180,000 tonnes of CO2 equivalent per
0: year. So the European Union may speed up the process of forcing companies to adopt USB-C, but speed up is a relative term because the European Union has been talking about charging standards for devices for around a decade or so. In fact, one of the reasons that a bunch of phones switched over to micro USB from all of the proprietary charging standards was the European Union tried to force that as the standard, and now we're moving on to USB-C. So now they're pressuring Apple to switch the iPhone over to USB-C, and in theory that could happen, but the reality could turn out to be much, much
4: different. And actually, I also talked to Heimgartenberg Gartenberg a little bit about all this. So the proposal is mandatory USB-C on all devices for smartphones and other electronics, common charging port. The goal here is to cut down on e-waste by letting people reuse their existing chargers and cables so that you don't have to you know, get a new charger every time. Devices won't have to include chargers in the box anymore, which is a trend we've already started to see with companies like Apple and Samsung. And it notably would only apply to wired ports, not wireless ones. So this is, as you said, it's really the culmination of like a decades-long process. The EU actually did have a similar thing where they had required micro USB, Mm -hmm. but that original voluntary thing was less strict and also allowed, you know, the loophole of you could include an adapter in the box. Right. Uh, which Apple did for a while when you bought an iPhone in the EU, it would come in addition to a Lightning cable. It would include in the box like a $15, you know, little freebie of a Lightning to Micro USB cable, mm-hmm. so that you could use your existing chargers and plugs with that device. Which is really the thing that the EU is is looking to try and cut down on. Under this proposed rule, you would not be allowed to sell a device you know, if it has a form of wireless charging, it has to have USB-C. So for example, Apple in theory could make, you know, an iPhone EU edition that had a USB-C port and a lightning port, But in theory, under the rules, it would not be allowed to just offer a Lightning port.
0: Would they be allowed to offer a phone that has only wireless charging?
4: Only wireless charging would be allowed. Okay. The exception here includes the fact that it only applies to a common wired port. If a device doesn't offer wired charging, it is not required to fall in. It doesn't have to abide by that rule. I see. The proposal is right now also just a proposal. It still needs to pass a vote in the European Parliament Mm -hmm. and then... If it is actually adopted as law, device manufacturers like Apple will then have two years to comply with the new rules. So there could still be a fair amount of time before this actually impacts. Don't necessarily expect the iPhone 13 to suddenly have... USB-C port.
0: Yeah. So how do you think it's going to shake out? I mean, we it took us this long to get to the proposal that Apple is strenuously fighting. I know you're not an expert in <sighs> European law, but do you foresee Apple like saying, "Sure, you know what? You're right. We're we're changing our mind."
4: On the one hand, there's not a lot of wiggle room in this proposal, which would require either Apple will have to ship a USB-C iPhone, it could limit it geographically, could only mm-hmm. sell them in the EU, it could take an approach similar to the bundled in adapters that it offered. At the time, I assume Apple as a company will be doing everything it can, you know, from a lobbying and legal side to make sure that this doesn't actually become law. It also could try and jump to a proprietary wirelessly charging iPhone. The issue there is sort of getting the genie back in the bottle because Apple can sell a wirelessly charging iPhone or a wireless protocol iPhone, but it already supports Qi on its stuff, which is a universal charging standard. It's actually the first and really only you know, cross Apple universal charging standard that you can use to charge an iPhone and something else.
0: Yeah. I mean, there are ways to transfer data wirelessly right next to each other. Like uh, there there have been phones, <laughs> the failed essential phone that actually literally had a little near field wireless USB thing. So you could attach things to it and it would communicate over a relatively slow, but it was there like wireless USB. So these things yeah. are possible. We just have no idea how aggressively Apple is pursuing them.
4: Yeah, but the other issue is, is that there's no real wireless solution that exists yet that's better than wired charging. There's a reason we use wired charging for things, which is transferring data wirelessly is not as fast as transferring it wired. Transferring right. power wirelessly is not as efficient. And even if Apple can circumvent those two issues and come up with a super fast, super power efficient way of doing power and data transfer, it also then has the trap of its own argument, which mm-hmm. is... Switching away from lightning to something else will generate a huge amount of e-waste and it'll inconvenience customers. Switching from lightning to a new proprietary magnetic wired thing with a dock and a cable and everything will generate a huge amount of e-waste and generate more waste than just switching to USB-C would.
0: Okay. We have learned a lot here about USB-C, its advantages, its disadvantages, and the wacky things it makes us do in a confusing tech market. So, here we are. But where are we going? What's next for USB-C? How will the technology
3: advance? I asked Rod Whitby. I think the next thing will be higher data rates. As we've seen, the power go from 100 watts to 240 watts. The data rates go from 5 to 10 to 20 to 40. I expect you'll see you know, 60 gigabits a second with a Thunderbolt 5 or something. I've got no internal information, of course, and even if I did, sure. I wouldn't be able to disclose it, but that's <laughs> but that's just what you expect. People always want faster data, always want yeah. bigger video screens, which means more data being transferred across the cable. So I think at the moment the research is there uh, to be able to send more data across the same cable, and the spec is now there to be able to send higher power across the same cable. So I think we'll see a 240 watt, 60 gigabits per second data cable as the next step.
0: See, this is why I keep bringing in Rod, because he's got me excited for the near future. But he also makes me take a step back and realize how we actually got here with USB-C.
3: The emphasis, I guess, is there is a lot of work that happens through a lot of engineers and a lot of different companies to make sure that when you plug a USB cable into a computer, that it actually does something. And it's incredible the number of ways that it could possibly not work, but uh, somehow through all this hard work, usually you know, 98% of the time just does work.
0: Here's how I deal with all of this confusion. I just make sure that I know which of my USB-C cables are good and can do the things that I need, and I e-waste the bad ones. For me, I know that the cables that I get from Apple and Google tend to work better, and they also happen to be white cables. So I keep those cables around for when I need a good USB-C cable. But for the cheap stuff, like charging earbuds or cameras or whatever, I have a bunch of cheap cables that happen to be black. And if I need something truly reliable, like the main cable I plug in my laptop with, Thunderbolt cables usually have a little lightning bolt on them, so I keep an eye out for that. Is that a perfect solution? No, not even a little. But is it better to have fewer cables? Yes, actually, it really is. And as we're going to see in this series of special Tuesday Vergecast episodes, new standards and technologies do solve real problems, but they don't solve them quickly, and they do bring up new problems of their own in the meantime. And the truth is, we live in the meantime. It's always the meantime. Thank you for listening to this USB-C spectacular. We we brought the term back. See what I did there? You're welcome. I'm sorry. This episode of The Verge Cast was made by Andrew Marino, Liam James, and me, Dieter Bone. Special thanks to Heim Gartenberg, Ken Pionel, and Rod Whitby, who gets a second extra thanks for working on webOS internals back in the day. Thank you to all of them for enlightening us along this journey. The Verge Cast will be back on Friday, and my Tuesday episodes will return next week.